Hi everyone, my name is uh, Josiah Hoskins. I'm a 14-year-old boy who lives in Ohio, and I think this is going to be the first episode or uh, recording of the podcast I'm going to start making, uh, hopefully weekly. I'm going to call it uh, Card Keepers. It's going to be um, explaining the basics of uh, sports cards, uh, the basics on how to sell them, why you're in the hobby, how to get introduced to the hobby, how to make money in it and still relatively enjoy it while um, making money or bringing other people into it. So first, a little bit about me is uh, I live in Ohio. Uh, I really got into sports cards about four years ago when I really started to get into basketball besides watching a game here and there. Ever since, I really just paid a lot of attention to basketball overall as a sport. Uh, watching most of televised games and paying attention to the Boston Celtics, which is my favorite team. So, when I got into sports cards, the only reason was I was still relatively young. Uh, I wasn't necessarily into toys anymore. Not really into, like, trading card games, uh, like Pokemon and stuff. I was looking for more, like, collectibles and things just to sort of sit around, not to mess with, uh, since I was getting more into transitioning into video games. So, what I would do is, since, uh, of course, not many 12, 11, 12-year-olds 12 have very much money to buy hobby boxes, I would go to my retailer, which at the time, which would have been Target, Meyer, Walmart. I would have bought a hobby box, a hanger box, or a hanger pack, which are all three different variations of retail choices you can get from. And I would usually always buy a blaster box, which would always offer an autograph or a memorabilia card, which is a piece of the player's jersey. That was my really first experience with trading cards of the sports variety. And uh, that really got me into it. And that also helped me get into basketball as a whole because I remember my first ever blaster box. I separated all the players by teams. And I remember one of the first players I ever looked at was Anthony Davis on the Pelicans. And uh, <laughs> they're not my favorite team. and He's not my favorite player. But when you start off with something like that, you always make these connections and have these like sentimental values connected to players and cards. And that was my first one. I still remember my first memorabilia card, which was a Damian Jones. I'm pretty sure he was a backup center for the Warriors for a while. And uh, now I don't even think he plays for the team anymore. And I remember at the time being in the car and I was so excited just to get a jersey patch alone, not even thinking that that was a, not necessarily a no-name player, but he was pretty low on the rankings and I remember getting players that I really knew nothing about Carl Anthony Towns number one pick in the 2015 draft and I remember thinking well huh I hate the Minnesota well not hate the Minnesota Timberwolves aren't doing anything why should I be happy about this card but the overall like thing you want to be realizing with sports cards is it takes time sports cards there, there's really no say and how the route goes besides how the player performs. So you can, for example, in the 2013 draft, you can get Giannis cards. He Sure, he was in the first round, but not many people. You get this lanky kid coming from Greece. You could be collecting his cards at the time just because he was relatively cheap compared to the others. You wouldn't think he would become a two-time MVP, first or second best player in the league. That's just something you wouldn't assume at the time. I mean, there's certain people out there, those really optimistic people, but you have to be honest with yourselves and like perceive that you know that not all those other people are actually going to believe in Giannis to become a two-time MVP, uh, Defensive Player of the Year, 
N- nobody really expected that. So you got to realize that sports cards are an investment, a uh, time-taking thing. You really just have to be patient. But before you get into that part, you really have to think to yourself, what's the point of me getting the sports cards? Why do I want to get into sports cards? So there's multiple routes. There's one, you want to get into it for collecting. So in that aspect, you want to buy the boxes, open the packs by yourselves with your family or kid, whatever it is, look at the cards, enjoy the moment opening them, bonding with your child over sports or the cards or reminiscing about what you had in your past, which is why it's such a great hobby. Then store them away in the box, put them in a binder, look at back at them, look at your favorite team, etc. And then that's it. You aren't trying to flip it to make money. You aren't saving up on a certain player. You aren't going to try to do all these complicated steps trying to make money. And then there's also the investment standpoint. In this point, you probably already have money or you already have this view in your head, an opinion, or a view that you eventually think is going to happen with a certain player. So like I mentioned with the Giannis, those people who are investing into the player, they probably put in money, depending on your financial status. You could put in hundreds of dollars. You could have put in maybe $100 into just like base Giannis rookie cards. So back in 2013, just say you bought 10 base Giannis rookie cards for $200. Now those probably all together would be seven dollars $800, all those cards. And if you get them graded, who knows what it'll be, hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars actually. So that's how you can see as an investment standpoint, you're perceiving something that's eventually going to happen. You're investing into something, putting something into something for it to eventually become greater. And that requires a lot of optimism. You have to have education about it. You have to have most likely past previous like experiences with it so you don't end up making a mistake. And when you're investing, you don't want to base it off of media You don't want to invest it off of emotional things, attachments. So I wouldn't say invest into the best player on your team. Be open-minded. Be able to think in your head, oh, I'm not going to invest in Jason Tatum only because he's my favorite player on the Boston Celtics. Oh, I'm not going to invest only into Jalen Brown because he's a good Celtics player. You have to widen your horizons and look out. Oh, you see Luka Doncic, he's doing really well. You see Trey Young, he's bad on the Hawks. Well, Hawks are a bad team, but he's an excellent player. You can also invest in him. You have to realize to yourself that when you're investing, you can't put your put your money and investment all into one area or you're going to flop. Not necessarily all the time, but at the same time, if you really want to maximize your profit, maximize your understanding of the hobby, you got to widen out and understand that you need to not base stuff off of emotion and you need to really think to yourselves, make an educational guess about what you think is going to happen. And in the third way you're going to be introduced into the hobby is the quick flip and the selling side. As of recent, as in this season, the 2019-2020 season, the Zion, Ja, Tyler Hero, Kobe White, etc. class, we've seen the most people come in and flood the hobby with the resale. So we see that in retail this year, since starting in about March, after Ja's been blowing up, Tyler Hero was decent, and then you got Zion coming back from injury in January, I think, when you see all of these rookies, a huge, deep class, doing so well, you think to yourselves, basketball cards, opening them singularly as a pack, 
it's it's a gambling thing. You don't know what you're going to get. And that's what gives some people the rush, and that's what turns some people off. But when you're opening a pack, you don't know what you're going to get. And if you think of it this way, two good players come out of a class. If you open that pack, out of all those cards, you have those two players that you really want that are rookies. But deeper the class, more the rookies you can get out of those packs that'll have more value, which is why people, in turn, want to get the classes with the deeper depth. So, for example, 2003... You got Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Chris Bosh, Carmelo Anthony. You got those four. That's a somewhat deep class. Deep Hall of Famers and everything. Not only does it have Hall of Famers, but it has a lot of earlier cards of a lot of players. So you got like, well, specifically the Topps Chrome set. You got Kobe Bryant Topps Chrome cards coming out of that. Even though it wasn't his rookie year, not even close to it. What did he get drafted in 1996? That's 2003. That's his seventh year. So... You can still always get veterans. As of recent, we've also seen veterans have a huge price increase in certain products, which has been unusual because usually we're used to the younger first, second year players having their cards being the highest, not the veterans. But like I was saying, it's it's a gamble. And when you have the more rookies, people have a better chance of getting those rookies out of the pack. So why wouldn't you get more of those packs if you know you can get the better chance of getting those rookies? So that's why this class with so many deep rookies, high-scoring ones, that have all-star potential, that's why people are investing so much into it. It also helps that you have the amount of money given by coronavirus. You had a lot of people laid off of their jobs or given time off, so now they can have time to really think to themselves, oh, this is what I want to do with this money that they've just given me. This gives more people time to sit at their computers, their phones, mobile devices, whatever it is, and think to themselves, what am I going to use this money on? So then with that mindset that people have, that they're actually thinking what they're doing, they have time to themselves to actually think about what they're going to do with the money, they can then go forward and through with like quick purchases and stuff that they wouldn't have done before because now they have this extra money to themselves that they can now use to, at their will. So this year specifically, retail has had a huge blow up. In past years, I've gone to Walmart target not as of recent because i'm about to get into that but you can see that there's no cards no football no basketball some baseball because what's happened this year is with the hiatus of coronavirus and the season being postponed and people getting more time and the hype being so high people they flood into walmart buy as much product up as they can and then they then resell it so that's what these people are doing. They're, they on, some, well, I can't assume, but a lot of people that are reselling these know very little about the actual sport, very little about the hobby, but they just check the prices, see what they can sell them at, and then when they have the time, they'll walk into Walmart. When the stalker comes, the people who literally put the cards on the shelves, they'll be there for them and they'll take the cards and then resell them at three to four times the value. Of course, the market goes up and down based off production of the cards and based off how the players play. And then also, as we've seen recently with the NBA season getting close to an end, the whole entire basketball card market, I guess, is quote-unquote crashed. Not really, but gone down to more realistic prices. You have like a Luka Doncic PSA 10 base prism. At times, I'm pretty sure it was 2400 and now it dropped to 1200 You have Jason Tatum's base prism going from 1200 to 500 So it just shows you 
that the market fluctuates so much based off of just the games alone, the season alone, not even just performance. But that's the selling aspect of it. People buy into the hobby, not thinking about much besides just wanting to resell. You have the people wanting to get into the hobby for the sentimental value, the fun of it. And then you have the people who are also buying into it in sometimes large quantities of money, but then in the thought process that they're eventually going to make more money. I personally got into it as a collector's standpoint that I wanted to buy the cards, open them, and look at them as in like a cool way to be like, oh, I have this card. This is pretty cool. But also in the back of my head, this is more recent thinking, I was... I would, I would think to myself, oh, I have this rookie card, and I think this player is going to be something eventually. I think I had that thought because I watched a YouTube video where I saw a Michael Jordan card at the time sold for $25,000. Uh, $25, and I would think to myself, well, maybe I have that rookie that will eventually become that. And now as I'm getting into it, I think across this four-year span, I've been all three of those categories. Starting out as a collector, probably my first three years, and recently I became somewhat of a seller because I've had the opportunity to get a couple stocks based off my very good family, uh, our lucky like financial status that we can do these things, and uh, the items at my disposal that I can then push towards making money in my own way. So then after I went from my collector's standpoint, I then went into my selling standpoint only a couple months ago. I got lucky enough to get Prism Hanger Packs. I think it was 22 of them. And I had sold them to a card breaker, a person who opens cards and then resells them. I had sold them to him for 17 a pack. That was, I think, $6 and some change over retail. At the time, I act like I was so much younger, but I was only a year younger, basically. Well, actually only like six months younger. And I had actually thought I was making like big money. And at the time, I did make quite a big amount of money. But now looking at prison prices, they're selling those same packs that I sold for $17 for $130 a pack. Just based off of Prism, a high, a high volume brand, mass produced, but still heavily wanted by people. Because as of recent past, like I think six or seven years, it's one of the most highly sought after brands, even though it's in retail. So that just goes to show you how much season, the season, the player's performance alone can change the prices of a card. At this time, I had sold it, I think, mid-January. Zion didn't come back until I'm pretty sure, like, literally the last couple of days of January. Zion hadn't even been back yet. But they were selling for a couple dollars over retail just off the fact of John Morant, Kendrick Nunn. Uh, I think Tyler Hero might have not had his foot injury yet. Brandon Clark. The hype still around Zion, which was still crazy high because the media once again hypes him up so much that even if people didn't know who he was, they had seen his Duke highlights, seen his preseason highlights, and been hopeful. But it shows you, if you invested money into the packs and then held them, you could make 13 times the amount that they're selling for retail. And that's just crazy to think of because that's never happened in the hobby before. Maybe before, but not at such a large scale. But later, I was also lucky enough to get the Mosaic, which was also a very short print brand because coronavirus had happened midway through its release and it stopped production at Panini's warehouses and facilities. That cut down the print run a lot. 
So not only was it taking longer to get out to shells, but it was also probably cut in half with production. That allowed me, when I was lucky enough to get in there, I had gotten three stocks. In total, yeah, I spent probably $2,000. But in turn, I had made, I think, around 5000 That goes to show you, by being on time, paying attention, even though it sounds pretty weird, but if you memorize the stalker's schedule, which some people are taking this a lot more serious than I am, even though if, you, I, if I sound weird, some people are like, memorizing the schedule, memorizing the person, bribing the person with money. At some points, it's not even a joke. People will follow the stalker's truck. You you really have to just understand what people are losing and what people are willing to risk for it. And then if you put this all together and you're lucky enough to understand the community, the card community, and you stay in tabs on all of it, you'll be able to maximize your profits and make the most money. And that's what I did, and that's how I made the most money. I joined Discord channels. I joined Facebook groups. I monitored the eBay sales, the most recent ones. Uh, I, I knew what to say to people. you got to understand, if you're not selling on eBay, where you're going to have to deduct, I think, 13% fees, and you got to remember the shipping if you're selling in bulk, that's going to be a lot of money. So if you're going to move over to more local selling options, which are like Facebook Marketplace, LetGo, and stuff like that, which I wouldn't recommend, but Facebook Marketplace is probably the best option, you got to realize and understand how you're going to talk back to people, make them understand that they can't wheel and deal you, and you need to stand your ground and make the most money. And that's why when you're a seller, even though a lot of people dislike them, you've got to understand and give props to the sellers and understand that they are going through also a lot of different things and they must learn a lot also that if they want to make their most amount of money, they can. And then, as of recent, if you start off as a seller and maybe you want to move into more of the collector or investment because now you have profit, which I think a lot of people are doing. They might have started out as a collector, liked cards, Heard that it can make a lot of money, got lucky, got the stock and resold it, and then want to put back into collecting, which I think a lot of people have done, which is why there was such a huge spike in the thing besides the coronavirus checks, stimulus checks. You can then invest, which is what I've been doing with my profit. I invest into people I have the most hope in, people I think will do the best in the NBA based off their current teams, what I think they're going to do in the offseason, how they performed in the bubble, uh, how they performed each year over time. You just got to pay attention to those things. But what I'm trying to say is before you enter the hobby, you just got to understand and get a grasp, grasp on what you honestly think you're getting into it for. There's not a problem with going in as something else and then changing it. People go into something with a beginning thought process, but after seeing it all, they understand that there's changes and then they also themselves change it. There, there's no problem with going into college or going into high school with a thought and then by seeing other people do things, learning more, then you can change your thought process. There's nothing ever wrong with changing your mind because you're learning, and that's what happens with growth. You understand things, and then you can broaden your horizons, which I love saying a lot because it, it it's a very large term. It, it like It's an overarching term in my head. But And you, you'll make mistakes. You'll lose money. Uh, you'll invest in the people you shouldn't have invested in. You're going to realize there's injuries and that these people aren't just a video game where everything goes peachy just fine. These are actual athletes that are affected by like putting human strain on their body. And uh, when this happens, you'll realize maybe you shouldn't have invested into them. Uh, right now, I invested $250 in the Zion. Uh, my, in my head, I, I, I regret that investment. He's not necessarily injured right now, 
But looking back on it, I don't think it was a very good one because not only is he on the uh, Pelicans, who, even though they were the 10th seed, I'm pretty sure, they're not really in the best standpoint and the heavier West West, that they're going to be a top seed in the playoffs. And with Zion's previous injury-prone self, his uh, maybe not the best motivation and uh, keep up to lose weight, it's just a little worry worrisome to me that I honestly shouldn't have invested into him. And I also saw myself, like I said earlier, investing into one player. I, I wanted to only invest in the Zion. And then um, a great friend of mine had uh, told me that uh, I should honestly be like thinking about it this way, that there's not only going to be that one player. If that one player flops or does bad, I'm going to lose all that money in that player. I should have a backup. You should always have a backup in case something happens because in this world, there's never just one thing that's always going to go right. There's never going to be that one thing. You're just being way too optimistic and unrealistic with yourself. So now you got to understand this. So I started investing into Luka Doncic, Jason Tatum, uh, or more consistent players, specifically LeBron. Even though people might not call him your GOAT or whatever, he's still one of the probably top two player of all time. And if he wins a championship here this year, his cards are going to go up even more. And slowly... Uh, his cards will keep increasing. Uh, I bought into his second year Topps Chrome. Uh, people, the margins between his rookie and Topps Chrome card are insane. And when people realize that the rookie is way out of their budget, I think at like 6K for a PSA 10, they'll move over to the PSA 10 second year Topps Chrome. When they realize they don't have enough for the PSA Topps Chrome second year, they'll move down to the BGS, which I have, which I watched my card go from a 500 increase to a $2,000 increase in, I think, three months. And you just got to understand some investments come quick and some investments come slow. And that's what you got to understand with investments. You're putting money into something when it's very little and expecting it to grow over time. And that's what investments are. But like I said, this uh, podcast, I think I th- if I go forward with it, it's just going to be me talking about slowly like how to get into the hobby more how to make money. I think I'm going to split up a few episodes specifically to talk about each topic of card collecting, investing, and selling. I've done all three so far, some more than others, but I still know a decent amount on all three topics. And I hope to eventually uh, gain guests uh, to keep you guys entertained. Uh, I hope you guys uh, enjoy it if I go through with it. And uh, thank you for listening.